Welcome to the Normal to Nomad podcast, where we share stories, thoughts, ideas, and conversations on our journey to find balance with nature in a technologically advanced world. My name is Baron. And I'm Elsa. We live together in a 13-foot scamp trailer with our dog camp in the American wilderness. Welcome back to the Normal to Nomad podcast. Today we're talking about our mindfulness and flow state practices and why we think those are important in everyday life. To start out, let's dive into why. Because before I really meditated or journaled or did any yoga or whatever, I always thought it was kind of woo-woo and I didn't realize the practicality of it at all. It's like, it's that rocket analogy. The city, being in the city. It's like your brain's a bottle rocket. With no, with no fins or control over where the motor is pointing. You're just like, zoom in. Zoom in to keep up and zoom in to make money and do all the things that we're supposed to do in our society. Or that's how we felt. Right. And now, it sometimes even feels now like we're strapped to a rocket with... YouTube and different things. Yeah, again, just trying to keep up. Right, but now that we have taken the time to slow down and know how to slow down, we can effectively drive the rocket and choose which planet we're heading out to, rather than just, like, dumping fuel and ending up in deep space. And it kind of seems like the mindfulness practices help us guide that rocket. Totally. Whereas before, it would be... Zoom with no direction, no. Um... It was just like, where do we get fuel? Just keep dumping fuel in, cause here we go. Right. Now though, even I feel like with living in the scamp and doing it nomadically, it's almost like we're more on a boat than we are a rocket, cause everything is slower, um, and we can, we have more time, and we can choose where we want to go, a lot more directly. Um, and without mindfulness practices, it'd be like we were just on a raft, like just doing it castaway style with a wooden raft and just bonking around in the ocean, just totally at the whim of the current and the wind. But like learning how to meditate and journal and like find your deep purpose and internal direction, you can leverage those similar to like a sail or a rudder to move with the current. So I don't think, and maybe if you're like mega zen or a monk or however you choose to quantify that, you could have absolute agency over your thoughts where there's no wandering, no meandering, no nothing. But like where I'm at currently, my mind will still wander. And I, if I catch my mind pushing into a place that isn't useful or is regurgitative or toxic, I can sort of bend the sail and direct my mind back to whatever it is that I deem useful or, like, bring it back to a good place. It's not like you can just, like, turn the wind off, but you can bend with the wind or, like, leverage it. I think having these practices back in my city life, as I was on that rocket, it's, like, almost imperative that you have mindfulness practices and know how to slow down and redirect because you are going so fast. I think it could have helped me so much if I had learned these things sooner, but I mean, it's like an evolution and part of life and developing those skills. 
Because in the city, we got into yoga a little bit through one of our good friends, Allie, who's a teacher. But all that was later, you know? Like, when we were living in our apartment and stuff, I feel like we weren't... The only way that I could really pull my mind away from... But what do you mean later? Um, like, when we were living in our apartment and stuff, I the only way that I could, like, slow down my mind or, like, bring it off of work and just general problems and all these different things was to play video games or go climbing. So then if you're going back that far, then I guess I would say my mindfulness practices at that time were getting into flow states through video editing or that was my initial um, getting into makeup kind of phase of life. Because I think with mindfulness, kind of what we've landed on is that flow states or getting into flow states is sort of the first step because that's a way that you can not be just rambling thoughts all the time. And I think everybody gets into their flow state in one way or another and may not even realize it. You can get into your flow state even as you're, I mean, even as you're doing office tasks, monotonous, like Like getting into your flow state is um, kind of the, what that means is you lose track of time, you lose a sense of all thoughts, you're just kind of lost in the moment doing whatever it is that you're doing. It's really presence, like you're present in whatever you're doing. As a kid, I guess I would get into my flow state through soccer or any sports that I was doing or art or, I mean, some people get into their flow state as they're cooking dinner. I think even watching TV is a way that people get into their flow. It's a almost like a, that's an escape, like taking you out of your, your mental grind and that constant flow of thoughts. Now I really value the times that I can get into flow states as I'm drawing or doing anything creative really. That type of a flow state is just as powerful to me as sitting in meditation for an hour. Yeah, like recently it's been beading. Mm -hmm. Beading or crafting or this winter it was crocheting. Just a place to put my mind so that I'm not thinking. And for me, my Um, the thing that I've always gone to is video games because it like completely wraps up my mind and then my like conscious mind is completely on whatever task that I'm doing. So then how do you take those type of flow states and use them in kind of a productive way? Not that the video games weren't productive because you've learned a lot from those video games, but how then for somebody like for our old selves as we were in that really busy place getting into our flow states in those kind of unintentional ways, how do you then start to do that with more intention? I think it just depends on what you're trying to do because now I felt recently I don't know like a few months ago I was riding and it was late at night and I was in the similar mental state that I would be if I were in like a super intense video game like just cranking on riding and that was like as stimulating as any video game has ever been and that was really exciting for me because then it's like oh I can do that here too but I would also like to have other like I would like to draw more and stuff you know I think that'd be really good for my mind but it's hard for me to get there because there's like a certain skill set that you need within whatever task that you're doing to be able to do it sort of unconsciously. But in being unconscious, then it's the most conscious. When I was the most distracted, like with high school and then with college and everything that comes with that, with relationships and people and just not knowing what in the world to do with anything, the only way that I could really pull myself into the moment was with paintball because it was such a engaging and oftentimes painful and highly tactical sport paintball sort of induced presence for me 
or like brought me into the moment and then I could pull my mind away from all the things that I would generally dwell on. So that was like the first, the first like mechanism that I found to finding presence. And it had to be like that violently ripping to pull me into the moment because I had so many different things going on in my mind. So I played paintball for a long time and it was like a release for me. Like I needed it to, cause it, it's a, it's an exciting and like relatively violent sport. And I was in such a place that I needed that like, just to like let all the warrior out because I was so bottled up all the time. And then from there, I started to get into climbing. And climbing's really interesting because it's kind of a bridge between those worlds. Like uh, two different people could climb the same route and one person could go at it in a really like belligerent, like violent way and just like tug through it and like really make it a battle. And somebody else could super gracefully like dance through the same problem and come to the same solution. So climbing taught me also how to use my breath as a manual transmission for the mind and for the body. So like if you wanna charge yourself up and like, and like hyper oxygenate yourself to go through something difficult or like pull through a hard problem, you can do that. And if you need to like calm down and like slow the breath, like, and like slow your heart rate down, you can do that and each has its own sort of utility so in climbing when i first started everything was kind of a battle like i climbed kind of like i paintballed just like bounding through things and just like charging myself up and getting letting all, all that energy but over time i realized that a more static style of climbing also had its utility because i was sort of more dynamic from the start meaning like more explosive, like that more explosive sort of energy comes easier to me in the physical sense than like a slow controlled sort of methodical energy. So that's kind of through that, that's where I learned the utility of yoga, right? And like being able to be flexible and slow down and find that like balance between things and be able to be a more static climber rather than bounding through all the things and just trying to like power through it. In yoga too, I, I could use the same sort of breathing patterns as climbing. I just feel like yoga didn't start as mindfulness. Yoga was workout. It mm -hmm. felt like it was, um, let's strengthen our body in the ways that we need for climbing. And it came far down the road with yoga that the mental mind body breath how powerful that was in connection with one another mm -hmm. the breathing with the movements and the timing of it all how that was such a mentally um it's a practice of balance between mind body and breath but i guess that's not e important either i'm just saying to stay chronological like you didn't just start doing yoga and say oh wow this is great it was right. like yoga was a big strength thing in the beginning because that's how it's always presented too like in the city especially in kansas city you're not going to find a ton of super zen um i mean you can but you got to be like you if look you go to yoga it. studios but i mean i a lot of the yoga yoga classes i was taking were at gyms and stuff oh that, that's right we did do a lot of yoga at health ridge yeah, for a while and that was great and huge for our climbing, our physical climbing practice, but it wasn't until we, we learned that yoga was hugely helpful in that area, then started branching out deeper into better 
not necessarily better, but different styles of yoga, our friends' yoga classes, and that incorporated more of the mind into the body practice. And then it's like, oh, whoa, this really is, there is something here. Because then following that, we kind of got into a practice of hanging out and stretching with our friends. <laughs> as funny as that sounds. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it just was awesome. It was a new group of friends who, everybody was super chill, and we were all kind of in the same place of trying to find people who would do fun adventures and talk about deep things, just explore life together. So we found that stretching was a really awesome way to spend time together. <laughs> you, especially. Yeah. Because you never really stretched before. No, I hadn't. And that's something that I had... Yeah, any time that I would stretch, it was kind of a... Like, I felt like I should be doing something else. Like, this isn't useful enough. So what something that helped me was either listening to podcasts while I stretched, and then that evolved into reading, too. So while I'm, like, sitting in a stretch or while I'm stretching, I'll also be reading. Because reading, back then, had the same sort of issue in my mind to where whenever I was reading, if my mind would wander off the subject, then I would feel like I was wasting time and I should be doing something else. So if I combined reading with stretching, then anytime my mind wandered, it's like, whatever, I'm still stretching. That's interesting because that's kind of the same thought as the mind, mental, physical connection of yoga. Because I think of stretching and I think of soccer practice and stretching is kind of a pain. And it do. was just so redundant. Right. But then when you add reading or any other mental practice or think of it in more than just a physical sense. Mm. And to be honest, Kratom really helped me with stretching and reading just to slow down and like get into my body and feel the different pain points in my body and be able to zone into those and then stretch them out directly. Because it's not when I stretch now, it's not that I'm just going through a sort of going through the motions I'll sit with myself and zone into different parts of my body and figure out where's tight or where feels hot and then find a stretch that targets that specific point until up until that point where I would like slow down and stretch I would just like okay this stretch is good for me I'll touch my toes now I'll stretch out my hamstrings now I'll, you know but through yoga and through climbing and these different sort of mindfulness practices, I realized that I can stretch whatever I need to directly, especially like my hips and groins. It's interesting too, your hips hold a lot of your stress. Yeah. So in stretching those out, the rest of your mind can then clear up and you can get deeper into other areas that beyond stretching. And it's wild how those two are bound together. Like, sometimes if I'm sitting in a really uncomfortable stretch that's, like, getting at, like, a deep root in my hips that is, like, uncomfortable to stretch out, uh, my mind will go to places that's, like, like, things will bubble up that are, like, what? Where did that come from? And it's almost like the pairing between mind and body is, like, super prevalent in that. One of my favorite practices for calming down my pretty crazy mind has been journaling. I've been journaling for several years, more consistently in the last few years as we've, as we've been traveling, but it was a, you're just constantly thinking and to then have to sit and choose, select the words that you're going to put on paper 
it really does a number on what you're thinking about it. Kind of, you're not only thinking about it, but then you're actively writing it. You're kind of reading as you're writing, and it takes all these big, complex thoughts, really simplifies them, and it really makes you slow down and think about what you're writing because you only write the important things. So that was a huge practice in, um, it was kind of a, in the beginning, it was a lot of just venting, trying to make sense of what my thoughts were and why I was thinking the way that I was. And as I got a lot better and more practiced at journaling, and as it became a routine, it kind of started evolving more into a, a, like a tracking thing and like a, a memories log. Now I don't really need to use it so much to um, help me process, but in the beginning I would say that was the most helpful form of mindfulness, and I didn't even realize that that's what I was doing. You were in like a far more emotionally fluxed state back then too, right? Oh yeah. And I think journaling like helped you get to like be able to slow down and like defragment your mind, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, there was just so much going on with friends and with work and with us and with our new dog that we'd probably gotten around that time. Or Tegu. Yeah, we just had so much going on. So when I could sit by myself, like the very few times, at that time it was like a few times a week, I would just give myself the space to step away from everything and sit with my journal and try to process everything. And as that became routine, then along with all the other elements of life that we've been uh, practicing and going through, that it was, I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but. Elsa's journaling uh, habits really inspired me because whenever we would talk about like oh what were we doing six months ago or what were we doing like around this date or what what happened Elsa could flip back into her journal and tell us like where we were at what was going on like who had visited recently all those different things and I thought that was so cool and on the Tim Ferriss podcast uh, I've listened to him for a long time and he has a lot of just mega awesome people on his podcast and two of the most Two of the most prevalent patterns between all the awesome people that he had on were journaling and meditation. So eventually, through Elsa's inspiration and through hearing that over and over again, I was like, there's got to be something to this. Like everybody, Benjamin Franklin, Nikola Tesla, Bruce Lee, all these awesome people kept journals. And I, I mean, you hear that and you think it's just like, dear diary. Right. But it's so much, you can make it exactly what you need. And, and sometimes I do need that. Like sometimes if you and I are going through something or whatever, sometimes I will just write down like what I'm feeling and what the problem is and what's going on. And then once I do that though, I can like articulate my thoughts to myself and then I can put them to rest. Like I don't have to keep that background process churning in my mind. Another I, thing a lot of people... Another thing a lot of people do is brain dump journaling, where you write down anything that comes to your mind as soon as it comes to your mind, and do like a page of that, and that helps. I don't know what it helps. Have You've done that. Yeah, that, that's like where some of my blog posts have come from. Just uh, if I'm, 
if I'm like stewing on a problem or a certain set of thoughts and I just can't figure out how to get away from them, then, and honestly for me, it's faster for me to type if I'm going to do like a sort of Brain mind dump. vomit. Yeah. I guess that it, the, the benefit in that would be to see all the different thoughts that you've got right. because there's no order where, whereas I like to journal to kind of make a story of it, like mm-hmm. have a start and have an end to each post in a way. But the brain dump, then, I mean, yes, you could get more brain dumped out typing, but that's the point of journaling. It's to slow down. Right. But I think both have their own, like, they're, they're both useful, but they're different, right. you know? for sure. Like, sometimes, if, if I'm just, like, spun up on ideas and I just need to get them down, then since I'm faster at typing, I'll choose that route. Do you do that in the Notes app? I use Bear. It's a writing app. It's excellent. If you're looking for an app to use on, it's on Mac, iPad, iPhone. I don't know if it's on PC yet or not, but it's excellent. It's just a simple notes app. Hmm. But um, if I were quicker at writing, then that would be how I would do that, right? Yeah, and I think most people would probably start by doing the digital way because everybody's always got their phones or devices on them. So to quickly, like, on a keyboard... (laughs) Would probably be a better way to start, but I'm trying to illustrate the merit in taking a pen and putting that down on paper. I think that's ultra important, and I, I'm glad that I like have adopted that practice because I, at first, my, like my handwriting's still crap, like it's not, yeah. it's hardly legible. But if you look at my first journals versus my most recent. My handwriting's far more legible, and I don't think that's just because my handwriting got better. I think it's because I have more agency in my thoughts. So it's not like my mind is, like... Uh, it, Scribbling, scrambling right, to scribble. Right, It's more of, okay, like, I have time to write this, and I can write whatever I'm thinking. Versus, like, okay, uh, and, like, trying to keep up with my brain and, like, where its zany process is going. One of my favorite ways lately to get into a very mindful place is to drink cacao and sit outside in the sun first thing in the morning. I like that time because that's when Baron's asleep. It's kind of like my me time. And Baron gets his me time at night. at night when I go to sleep a little earlier. It's a little bit different when it's warmer out. We mm-hmm. kind of have more aligned sleep schedules. but It was especially variable when we were using the wood stove because I would stay up really late and also would get up really early to keep the stove going. That was a specifically the me time. I didn't even... This is coming up only now in my head, but... In the city, I never really gave myself much time to myself. I didn't realize how much of an introvert I was until we started doing this. Because now, when I go hang out with... Doing this, meaning living in the scamp. Because now we'll go in and see people, see friends and stuff... Um, and go back to the scamp and I'll just be like, holy cow, more drained than, um, I don't know, than I, than I ever would have realized in the city because I was so constantly going and doing that all the time. I never really knew that I needed to give myself that kind of self-care and time. Everybody talks about how important that is, but you kind of just brush it off and say, I'll do it later, I'll do it tomorrow. But that is drinking cacao, sitting by myself, just thinking 
or not thinking, doing whatever I want with myself in the morning has been a huge practice of growth for me. Helps me recharge. Something that, so recently um, we've been moving around a lot and doing all these different things and I've been having trouble figuring out um, like where to channel my energy. So I went back and read my old journals and I think some of the times that I was the most like on point and usefully productive was when we were in Arizona and those were the times when every morning it was super nice outside so and it was hot enough to where like I couldn't sleep in so I would wake up every morning and stretch and meditate and journal and at that point I had held myself to journaling every day and now in the last like four days I've been holding myself to that again to like every day I have to journal because I'd kind of fallen out of practice with all the different things that we were doing. So that's kind of your way of giving yourself you time. Mm -hmm. Another thing that you taught me through your you time is going on walks. Anytime Baron has a lot on his mind or is upset or just has a lot of energy to kind of push away, just like you would with climbing, Mm -hmm. you'll go on walks. It just sets your mental order back in check and I learned through you that that is a really helpful way too to gather myself even when we were or especially when we were living in the city and any new place that we go with the scamp I'll always find a little trail to walk and just like lap I think that'd be a good thing to do for anybody starting a new job or starting I mean it's not that's not really easy to say um But as you're trying to get to know somebody, or if you're having a conflict with somebody, going on a walk with that other person, just like it helps you clear your mind, it's an interesting way to... It's an interesting way to pace, right? Because you have like the physical pacing, where you're walking at the same pace together, and then that sort of makes a mental bridge. So then you're like, kind of on the same pace together. I hadn't really thought about that, but I think that there's truth in it. What are you looking at? People walking by, they might be the scampers. Because they're looking at us so hard? (laughs) Yeah. That's funny if they listen to the podcast. They're like, oh, that was us. A scamp drove by a little while ago, and they had a white Forester and a little 13-foot scamp, but everything just looks nicer and newer yeah like their whole setup was a good 10 or 15 years newer than ours <laughs> where were we at i don't know exactly why i said that about the going on a walk with somebody else but it's super useful it is because it's so useful for not only yourself it would just be a much more productive way for people to get things going together get ideas started together to go on walks together because it's so cleansing of your own solo mind that like when we go on walks together we come up with so many ideas and come back so inspired every time i mean especially or just if we... decompressed you know if we go on a walk together when we are agitated or whatever then by the time we get back it's like okay we figured it out or if we're agitated and we go on walks separately yeah that's, that's super <laughs> that's useful nice thing too to do. another activity that has helped me in my mindfulness journey if you will is slacklining 
because it brings you into that exact moment. If I and if you're not familiar, slacklining is it's a piece of webbing. It's about the one that I use is about two inches wide, and you strap it between two trees. So it's like you're tightrope walking, but not super high off the ground. When I'm slacklining, I can't be really thinking about anything except for that exact moment. Otherwise, I'll fall off the line. So when I was doing like programming work or when I was doing design work with Alec or any of that, any of the um, like high cognitive load work and I couldn't solve a problem, I had a slack line set up in our backyard. So anytime I needed to, I would go get on the slack line and put my conscious mind on that exact moment on the slack line. And then once I stepped back into my work, my subconscious had then oftentimes solved solve the problem. They say that sleep does the same thing. Your subconscious mind processes so much for you. And if you're really struggling to finish something or to uh, get a new look at something, stepping away and coming back usually does the trick. Right? Totally. That's like why walks are so useful, like we were talking. With video editing, I do that every 30 minutes at least. Even if it's not getting up and going going on a walk, just stopping editing, because then you can come back. You, like you're not even thinking about the project anymore, but it's still churning in your subconscious mind. How does that work? I don't know. It's like our frontal lobe is the the very human part of our mental. So if we can put that on something else, then there's the whole rest of the brain that can chew on the problem. It's kind of like when I play solitaire. Exactly, as I'm yeah. doing other things, occupying one part of my brain so that the other part of my brain can do other stuff. It seems like such an easy solution to accomplishing tasks is to s step away and channel your brain elsewhere. But we'd never allow ourselves to do that. It's like the constant, no, you have to continue grinding, grinding, grinding. And then by that point, you're just so drained that you have nothing left. So you can't make any progress on the problem. My issue is that I'll often procrastinate to the last moment. So then I have to grind at it. Well, pressure, I, I do really well under pressure like that too. Totally. Okay, so we've talked about journaling and climbing and all these different things. To help myself get into journaling, first I got a small moleskin journal that was lined. So that, in it being small, that was intentional because then I held myself to a page a day. So in the morning, even if I wasn't going to journal right then, I would just write the date at the top. And then I had already gotten the ball rolling, so I had like some level of momentum. And in the journal being small, it's not that I had to stop on that exact page once I finished. I could continue on to the next page, but I had to at least finish that small page of the journal every day. And that helped me get into a flow of it. And then, and then also, that would work into other things that I would write about. So it's not like I didn't have an exact thing that I had to write about each day. It was just whatever I chose. So it could be emotions, it could be thoughts, it could be what I'm working on, it could be experiences, anything in the world. Like, I gave myself that absolute creative freedom. And in that, I would oftentimes work into blog posts and things without actually even trying. 
And how that works in my mind is it's like opening, and all these different practices are sort of, they all do this, but journaling especially because my mind is always running on new thoughts. It's like opening the task manager or activity monitor on your computer and just turning off all the idle tasks. And when you do that and you spin up a new task, you have all of that all of that processing power to allocate to whatever task you're opening up. So by putting these idle thoughts to bed by journaling, then I could open up new space and have the cognitive power to dump into whatever problem that I chose. That sounds a little bit like our question of how it works to when your subconscious mind processes things. Mm-hmm by shutting out all the other processes, then you can channel all of that energy into that one direct process. Meditation is another, I mean, meditation is probably the, the mindfulness practice. But it's interesting how many types of meditation there are. I've started using pretty routinely Sam Harris's meditation app. Waking up. Is that what it's? Yeah, Waking Up with Sam Harris. And that's about 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, different sessions. There's 50 sessions that you go through. And it's not so much of a practice of... It's not so much a practice of stopping your thoughts. I think that's where everybody gets caught up is... Oh, I have to sit here and meditate. Oh, crap, I had a thought. I lose. All right, I give up. Who is it that said... I think it was Tim Ferriss, or somebody on his podcast. But it's it's the practice of bringing the mind back to focus. So if your meditation practice that you're on in that instance is uh, like your breath, and you're just counting your breaths, for example, or being mindful of your breath and just feeling your breath, once your mind starts to wonder and go off on whatever tangent it goes on, once you catch that and bring it back to the breath, like, if you will, that's how you collect your points. Right? I like I like Sam Harris because he, especially in the beginning meditations, he makes you notice, uh, he guides you to notice the sounds and even the sights. Sometimes he'll have you meditate with your eyes open. Have you notice everything, then give you some time to sit and continue noticing, then he'll come back and say, oh, you've... You may have wandered off in thought. You're like, how'd you know? Sam? Right, exactly. <laughs> but then, yeah, like you said, that's when you win, is bringing your thoughts back. Because if you can get into the habit and the routine of that, of, oh, I'm in my everyday life, I'm sitting here and... Um... So an example is if I'm writing and I catch my mind just wandering on to what I'm going to eat or looking at chips and thinking about how good (laughs) chips are going to taste, the same mechanism applies. So then I can bring my mind back to the writing, and it's not that like, oh, now you're in trouble because you're thinking about chips. It's that mechanism of bringing back to focus that you're trying to train. Because then you can learn how to stay in the present moment. Yes. Which is a good thing. Agreed. And that's what it is, is it is training. Did you say training? It's practice, yeah. But it's training, too. You're training through sitting and taking those 10 minutes to do the meditation courses. You are training your brain to be able to do that when you're not sitting and meditating. 
there's been so many times where I have started thinking negative thoughts about a conf conflict or something that had happened prior to that situation that I'm in. And because I've been training every morning or most mornings through this meditation practice, I can then channel those thoughts away so much easier than if I had no meditation practice at all. So the meditation practice itself, it's like that that isn't necessarily what is making me more mindful. That's the training. And then it's integrating that into my everyday average life that is where the work comes in. Would you agree? Yeah, that was really well said. And I think it's, it's important, too, to characterize these things as a practice. So even climbing and writing and meditation and yoga, all of these things are practices. So it's not like if you're in a yoga class, it's a practice with you. It's not at all a competition. If you make it that, like you're welcome to make it that, and it may push you harder. But remember that it's a practice with yourself. And it's not like the point of it isn't to just like be good at it. It's to practice and apply that practice into different facets of your life. So back to that rocket analogy. Yeah. It seems like had we had all of these mindfulness practices when we were strapped to our rockets, we would have been a lot more guided. It just feels like you have to. Like, how did we do all of that without having this type of... Uh, pause and clarity how could we have I mean it just makes me think that I could have accomplished a lot more of the things that I was trying to do finished a lot more projects with a lot more sound creativity and they probably would have been a lot more useful projects too if I had given myself the space and the time to do those things but I just didn't know I was just racing to complete but then the the completion of my projects was kind of half-assed because I guess I maybe wasn't fully dedicating myself because I, I don't know. I just didn't realize I needed to give myself the time. It's like, you got to slow down to speed up. Like slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So if you're, uh, yeah, the rocket analogy applies. If you're just flying at Mach one into outer space and you haven't chosen your heading directly, or you haven't even chosen a target to go to, then you will just continue into outer space. But at some times, or at some points, it's important to even stop the rocket and use your little pneumatic systems to point directly where you need to go, and then you can juice the fuel. But without taking time to slow down, then you just end up running and flying forever, you know? Another thought is, now that we're on our luxurious sailboat... <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we've have we even talked about that metaphor yet. You did in the okay. beginning. Okay. We're gliding along. We're much slower now. Well, because when we were in the city, it was like we're on a rocket. And now we're more of a boat with the scamp life. But it's not that our mindfulness practices have taken us from a rocket to a boat. No, like we, we could apply clarify. them to the rocket as well. Right. <laughs> we switched from the rocket life to the boat life in the scamp. <laughs> And so then I, I asked Baron earlier, so then if we already are slow, why do we need mindfulness practices? And the answer. <laughs> and what is It's not an answer. But if we're, so if we did slow down and we were just kind of meandering through the forest in our little scamp and we didn't have any direction whatsoever, we didn't take time to choose direction we'd just be bonking around yeah we'd just be cast away like with our little volleyball doing nothing and we would be at the 
at, that we would be at the whim of the wind and the current, right? Which is a nice way to be. Yeah. But and I think once I'm older and, like, in grandpa mode, I'm excited to just bonk around in the ocean. And now that we have this slow time with all of these mindfulness practices, we can fully and completely dedicate our energy into exactly what we want. Instead of wasting our time, um, like, I used to spend a lot of time working so that I could have money to pay for rent. Now that that process is gone, I spend my energy learning new things, creating new crafts. I've made a lot of stuff since we've lived in the scam. We learn a lot of different tech things. We've downloaded Masterclass. We're just constantly learning because we have that time. And I think if we didn't have these mindfulness practices, we would feel a little bit lost. It would. Well, I mean, and I do sometimes feel discombobulated and lost when I'm not taking time to articulate my thoughts to myself and figure out where it is that we're going. Like, there have been times where we don't have a rudder or a sail and we're just bonking around trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Yeah, that is true. It is just like our city lives, except this is much slower. Yeah. And we don't, we're not like, we don't have to keep dumping fuel in, mm -hmm. you know, in the form of money. Like, we need less money so we can just, like, take the time to have personal solace. But then because we require less money, we can get caught up in almost even laziness. Well, I get caught up too much in my phone, yeah. social media and stuff, and then it's like, oh my god, I just wasted, like, 30 minutes just scrolling. So, these days, like we have right now, right this very second, we have no Wi-Fi. We just happen to park in a spot that doesn't have any service, and it's... Like, everything is coming back so full force because we're spending all of our energy with very clear intent. Yeah, and I think it's important, too. Like, I personally can't be, and I've been observing this the last few days, I can't be clicking on all cylinders all the time. Like, I'll have waves of inspiration and waves where I just need to, like, decompress and watch YouTube videos or whatever, you know? But I need to not lean as much into that, like, procrastination mechanism or that mental distraction and, like, catch myself in that. And I'm getting better and better at it. But sometimes I do just need to, like, decompress and do nothing. And I think we all do, and that's okay. But doing, like, useful things, like going on a walk or just meditating or writing. It's a much more useful type of pause right? than escaping through... Uh, non-productive forms of right. escape. But even that being said, sometimes escape is the best medicine. Mm -hmm. But it's a it's a it's a practice of being able to step back into the clicking on all cylinders mode once I've had enough pause. So to clear up the sailboat analogy, right? Without mindfulness practices. It's like you're just bonking around on a wooden boat without any agency over the direction that you're going. With mindfulness practices, one, you can choose your destination. You can then use the different practices, whether it be journaling or um, just meditation, whatever it is, to then articulate your thoughts to yourself and like make headway toward whatever that destination is. And you can use the sail and the rudder to, like, affect that. 
but without taking the time to think and without taking the time to establish intent, you can also often find yourself just bonking around in the ocean without any agency over where you're going. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more information and links to the things we talked about, check out our show notes at normal2nomad.com slash podcast. If you want to see more of what we're up to, we've documented our travels on YouTube for the past three years and are up to a quarter of a million subscribers. Check it out at youtube.com slash Please give us a five-star review if you like the show so other people can find it. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.